Hi, I'm Jack Cottrell. And I'm Aaron Burns. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I hit the headlines talking about President Biden's awesome interaction with Fox News reporter Peter Ducey and the Ossoff ethics bill. After that, Aaron and I have an awesome interview with 18 by votes executive director, Ava Mateo. And we finish up as we always do with tweets of the week. Aaron, you ready for this episode? Jack, I'm super pumped. And I, I just want to jump right in and hit the headlines and talk about the funniest headline of 2022 thus far, which is Peter Ducey and Joe Biden. Now, for those of you who are watching this, I'm sure you all have seen it, but if you, you have to have seen it, what it was like one of my favorite clips ever, maybe it's been really great. And, and essentially what happened was uh, they were having Joe Biden was having an economic roundtable with many of his senior staff and cabinet and Peter Ducey came in and President Biden uh, ahead of time, his communications team essentially said no questions about anything, but what we're talking about. It was, a, it was a sort of smaller gathering. It was wasn't a small it? Gathering. Just a little, 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 little intimate, yeah. So Peter Ducey, being Peter Ducey, uh, decided yeah, the worst blasting questions at President Biden, including something about like inflation or like he said. So the exact quote, because it was like kind of difficult to hear in the clip, is what he said: "Is do you think that uh, do you think inflation is a political liability ahead of the midterms?" And then you couldn't re- really hear Joe Biden, but he said, "Is he said no? I think it's a great asset." more inflation. So he was just like, nah, Peter, it's awesome. I love it. We want more of it. And then, of course, he said the incredible line. Now, he didn't say it to him. He it was a hot mic. He didn't think that anyone was going to hear him, but he said, what a stupid son of a bitch, which is like, yes, like maybe shouldn't have said it. President Biden did apologize, something President Trump never did, and he called the press the enemy of the people. Um, but we can absolutely say uh, it was hilarious, and I love President Biden for it. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was very funny. I laughed when I saw it. Do I think that President Biden should have said it? Like you said, obviously not. I, I don't think that's rhetoric a president should be saying to a reporter really. Tenuous. But, you know, like he didn't necessarily. And this is the argument I've tried to be making. He didn't necessarily say it like Ducey wasn't walking out. and He said, hey, Peter, I want to talk to you real quick. Yeah, no, exactly. he just kind of like mumbled it under his breath. But, you know, still not the greatest thing in the world. But again, no, it was really I, funny. Like, am I mad that he said it? No. Do I think he should have said it? No. So like. Moving forward, like he apologized, whatever. But I'll say this. The party that curated the term Let's Go Brandon has been parroting this FJB movement, which stands for F Joe Biden, Mm. um, cannot tell me and cannot have any outrage over this, especially since over the past four years, we saw Donald Trump attack the media. We saw Donald Trump call Chuck Todd a SOB as well. Um, So yeah, if you're if you're thinking about previous presidents before Donald Trump, yeah, no, I, I don't, I can't remember another president who said something like this. But if Donald Trump's your standard, what Joe Biden did was not bad at all. And also, cut. I tweeted this out, but like, cut it out with the faux outrage. Like, okay, you guys, you're, you're not actually upset. You're, you're like, you know, random one day and then the next day you're mad that he said stupid son of a bitch. Like, no, okay. Yeah, and like you know, if if President Biden was taking like some John Adams level attacks against the free press, and you know big fan of John Adams here. Um, but it, like, if that's what he was doing, it was like, Oh, maybe there's some, some cause for alarm, but he just like mumbled something under his breath. Cause Peter Ducey's kind of an asshole and we can all accept that. Um, and the reaction that people were giving, obviously you had the faux outrage, outrage from the right. They were all freaking out. Like it's the first time that they had ever seen that from a president before and they hadn't applauded Trump for it. But what I saw, what I kind of agree with is a lot of people were saying, I was saying it myself, like, not necessarily that we need crass language from Joe Biden, but we need more of that Joe Biden. We need, we need more energy. of like, we need more energized Joe Biden. 
And when Joe Biden was on the campaign trail, you know, a lot of the times with Joe Biden, and we love him, he kind of goes off rambling and stories about, and, and, you know, like we've all had our fair share of jokes, but, you know, like sometimes Joe Biden rambles on an anecdote that kind of doesn't make any sense, but like having him be incredibly engaged and passionate, I keep going back to my favorite quote from the president in 2022. And that was when he was in Atlanta, Georgia, he said, I have been having quiet conversations. I'm tired of having quiet conversations. And that's kind of the Joe Biden that we need right now, because if his agenda is not being passed through Congress and, you know, we're kind of seeing stalling there and the presidency isn't exactly going in the direction that everyone thought it would be, we at least need Joe Biden to be an advocate for the American people and show that he really cares and he is with us and he is upset about the same issues that we are as well. So we need passionate Joe Biden. Sometimes that's rambling Joe Biden, but we love that version of Joe Biden. So we need more of that. I think people really like the energy. Uh, it was also hysterical because it's true. Um, and I know Jen Psaki was definitely somewhere smiling. She's like, that's my guy. You go, Joe. You're absolutely right. You tell him. I can't imagine how many times Jen Psaki, like over the past year, has just wanted to be like, Peter, I swear, if you ask one more dumb question, it's just like, I'm just going to kick you out of here. Again, it's not what we do. But I think Joe Biden did Jen Psaki proud. No, I, I agree with you. And, and Jack, you mentioned the issues that we care about. And you mentioned how it's time people in Congress and the president and others kind of get fired up over the Democrats, get fired up over issues that we care about, especially issues that young people care about. And one of, the, true. one of the big issues that's been in the news lately is this idea of banning stocks or banning members of Congress from trading stock. Now, just this week, our favorite senator, Senator John Ossoff from Georgia, yeah, baby. Um, is celebrating his one-year anniversary since being sworn in, in in the Senate. One-year anniversary of crushing it constantly. We love you, John. Sorry, yeah. little shout-out to my guy. Jack Sims for John. But moving on, <laughs> um, as far as what John Ossoff did to commemorate this one-year anniversary, he introduced a bill that was co-sponsored by Mark Kelly to ban members of Congress from, ban from trading stock. Now, this bill has been bipartisan. You have Republicans, you have Democrats on it, but this is a Democratic effort and Democrats need to champion it. I will say though, however, Jack, we, and, and I wanna ask you this, how do you think Democrats are gonna get something like this passed when Democrats also are the ones trading stock? Um, and, and even Speaker Pelosi recently came out and said she wasn't in favor of this when it was initially talked about a while back. Yeah, a while back. So a while back she was. So the full Ossoff ethics bill that was introduced by the Senator as law, uh, and it was co-sponsored by Mark Kelly, uh, focuses on government accountability and getting dark money out of politics generally. So barring members of Congress and their spouses from trading stock, as well as banning corporate PACs. Now, that would be a huge and important piece of legislation if it passed. Now, Aaron, we've had conversations about this, how this should be a Democratic issue. And, you know, you've talked about how Speaker Pelosi was initially kind of not super on board with the idea. She did come out with a drop my mic. She did come out with <laughs> she did come out with kind of a, a softer statement in support of the bill saying, yeah, I think we should do it, which I am incredibly disappointed in. Because right now, we've talked about it, our bills are kind of stalling in Congress. So is the president's agenda. This narrative that the media wants to paint is Democrats in disarray, when it's really just, of course, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin holding things back. Right. But this is an opportunity that I think Democrats should have taken. And I know John Ossoff has, and so is Mark Kelly, to say, this is our issue. Government accountability 
is our issue. Getting dark money out of politics is our issue. And it should have been every segment on CNN and MSNBC and every Sunday morning show should have been a Democrat in their district on their you know, local TV show saying, hey, this is what we want to do because we have to make sure government officials are accountable and we have to make sure that dark money is out of politics and we do not want special interests affecting our elections and affecting our politicians because that's not what we care about. We as Democrats serve the people and that is the opposite of what Republicans do. Like a senator like Ron Johnson, juxtapose him, someone who is taking you know, huge donations from corporations that he is then making tax cuts for, right? We have to say that is what Republicans do. They serve these special interests. Like we've all seen that, like that Photoshopped image of Mitch McConnell with all the, all the like corporations on his face. Like that is what the Republican party, that's what their face needs to be. Us as Democrats, we have to say we're all about accountability and we're all about getting special interests out of politics. And so I'm a little disappointed that we haven't like fully championed this issue and just run with it for two weeks because I'm sure a couple of people may have saw um, 27 members of Congress uh, all signed their name, pledging that they would be in support of this bill. And everyone was, you know, kind of freaking out because uh, I think it was, um, was it Pramila Jayapal whose name was right next to Matt Gates's? Like they signed their names right next to each other. And everyone's like, never in history will this ever happen again. But they are both agreeing on something. Nice. But I think, I, I, like, I'm glad that it's bipartisan. I'm glad that we're all supporting it. But I think as Democrats, we should have just taken over this issue and said, this is ours and run with it and make it the media narrative for two weeks. Democrats, accountability, dark money out of politics. I think that should have been our narrative. And I think we dropped the ball on it. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, it's an issue that not just, it, not just like members of Congress should care about and not just people in the political world should care about. I mean, everyone needs to be on an even playing field when it comes to trading stock. And just participating in financial decisions, uh, a, a, a big executive in a hedge fund cannot trade on insider information. And a member of Congress also should not be able to trade on information. And it's really unfortunate. And it's an issue that young people especially really, really care about. I mean, I think young people more than anyone really wants everyone on the same playing field, wants equitable um, treatment for everyone, no matter whether you're in Congress or whether um, you are a an everyday American working a nine to five job. It, it shouldn't matter, and and it, that same principle should apply to trading stock, Jack. But I'm saying with that, um, I think we've hit the headlines. We've really talked about a lot, um, and we're going to jump right into an awesome interview about youth organizing with 18 by Vote Executive Director Ava Mateo. Let's do it. Our sponsor for today's episode of Zoomed In has a product that I literally use every day. Um, Aaron, I know you do, and I know the person who loves it the most is my mom. Uh, this product uh, is Athletic Greens, and we all love it because Athletic Greens is awesome. Yeah, no, Jack, it, it's one of my favorite products, honestly. And when you think about what is Athletic Greens, well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, immune system, increases your energy recovery, focus, and helps with aging, all of those things. And honestly, Jack, I, I do Athletic Greens almost every day as much as I can, and it costs less than only $3 a day. And you're not only investing in your health, it's cheaper than your typical coffee or cold brew habit. Um, you're investing in all-in-one nutritional insurance, and Athletic Greens has actually over 75, over 7,000 five-star reviews online, and it's recommended by professional athletes and trusted by leading health experts, such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Jervis. Um, so Jack, this is, it's an awesome product. 
It absolutely is. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Right now, Aaron, we are both doing it. So it is time for Zoomed In listeners to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially we're heading into the flu and cold season. Go ahead and arm it up. So it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. And that's it. No need for like a million different pills or, you know, get this and that and a little coffee and a little here and there. No, you just need Athletic Greens to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash zoomed in. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash zoomed in to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So go check out Athletic Greens. So Aaron and I are so excited to bring on our next guest. Uh, Ava Mateo is the executive director of 18 by Vote, and we are so excited to have her on. Thank you for joining us on Zoomed In. Thank you both so much for having me. Um, would you just like me to introduce Yeah, no, so Ava, I just, I, I wanna jump right in and I wanna uh, talk a little bit about yourself, your background and this organization that you started or that you're the executive director of 18 by Vote. So why don't you give us a little bit about you um, and then the organization and why you started it. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, so I am the executive director of 18 by Vote. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, and I um, actually got involved with 18 by Vote right after um, in the summer of 2020, in the midst of the pandemic, right ahead of the 2020 election. Um, I worked uh, a friend of mine, Jasmine Kay, who is the uh, previous executive, uh, executive director of 18 by Vote, um, was our first youth executive director. And so we have been a youth-led organization since 2018. We are the only youth-led nonpartisan civic engagement organization. And we are really focused on getting young people 16, 17, 18, and 19 excited, ready to vote. Um, but in terms of me personally, I just really care about democracy. And I really believe actually personally that our public schools should be stimulants for democracy, that we really should um, have incredible investments in our public schools so that every young person in America is prepared and excited and ready to participate um, in, uh, in our civic world. Um, and so with that, I'm also actually a graduate student at Teachers College, Columbia University, where I'm studying sociology and education and trying to kind of figure out multiple ways to get people excited and ready to participate in democracy. And that, so, that's awesome. And, and so you bring up the what I think is an important point of schools being kind of a vessel of getting students, young people engaged in democracy at an early age. Um, and an issue that we've seen uh, emerge in schools as you see this you know, Republican attack on um, democracy in, in schools is part of uh, restrictions of education, public school education in Texas. Um, you're seeing Republican lawmakers try to prevent students from being able to write to their members of Congress that teachers are not allowed to encourage their students to write to elected officials. <clears throat> what are you and your organization seeing that you can do to combat that and make sure that schools are still a place where democracy can thrive and, and students can learn about their government? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so we actually, as an organization, are really not so focused on school policy. Um, there are some really amazing organizations such as, um, uh, and they're all 
totally passing my brain at the moment, but there's an incredible amount of kind of really strong organizations that focus on civic education in schools. So we actually focus on it from a way of really reaching young people themselves. So we will get, we will give young people the tools to advocate within their schools to really make sure that they have the opportunity to engage and to encourage their classmates to um, talk about politics or to contact their officials and really focus on, you know, helping young people find their voices and advocate for themselves so that they then can take action in whatever way they best want to. So I want to talk a little bit more about that and specifically the work you guys are doing. So we have, I mean, there are plenty of states around the country, as you know, Ava, that allow students to pre-register to vote when they turn the age of 16, when they get their driver's license. Um, some states even the age of 15 when you get your permit. Um, what are you guys doing to help students ages 15, 16, 17, and 18 before, or up to 17 before they're eligible to vote um, to learn about what it means to vote and to get resources to pre-register so that they are registered when they turn 18? Absolutely. Um, so we focus on um, we focus on reaching young people in two different ways. <laughs> uh, one is through our fellowship program, um, where we find young people from across the country and we gather them together over Zoom, have them educate them about voting, about ways of being engaged civically, um, as well as kind of critical thinking and how to be engaged in politics beyond just your contacting your politician or you know just beyond voting, essentially, really kind of helping them understand that this is a more encompassing um, act and that there's many, many ways to be engaged because <laughs> when you're under the age of 18, you aren't able to vote. Um, and so we really help them kind of find different ways. Um, but then we also spread resources through social media. We help them. We encourage them to contact all of their friends, all of their community members, both through social media, through text message, and really get them um, to uh, share information because that's really what it comes down to with pre-registration. You know, um, it's really just understanding why to do it and how to do it because it's not that complicated. Um, and once you kind of have that knowledge, um, it's, it's the power is in, in a young person's hand. And so that's really what we focus on. That's awesome. And, and I, I want to know, so on your website on 18 by vote, you guys talk about a new list of statistics that if 18 and 19 year olds voted at the same rate as other Americans, we'd have over one and a half million additional voters in the next presidential and more than 750,000 voters in the next off-year midterm election. Why do you think young people don't vote at the same rate as older folks? Um, and what can we do to change that? Yeah, <laughs> um, so I think that there's two main reasons. One is that politicians do not focus on young voters. You know, politicians are really focused on um, attracting the voting blocks that have voted for them in the past. So pretty much older voters, you know, 60 plus, but then also kind of middle-aged voters and people who have been voting for a while because statistically 18 and 19 year olds vote at the lowest rate of any other population. And so with that knowledge, politicians dismiss them, you know, they don't pay attention to them and they're not giving them that investment that they give to other populations. So first of all, they're just not being contacted in the way that other voters are. And a lot of people turn out to vote because they're being contacted by politicians. So that's one big reason. Another big reason is that young people are feel frustrated. <laughs> um, they feel super frustrated with politics. They feel like their vote doesn't matter. They feel like the issues that, they're care that they care about are not being represented. And that frustrates them and kind of 
where they need to be motivated um, to turn out to vote. And so what we can do <laughs> is two things. We can contact the people that the, that the politicians are not. Um, and really, and we do this from a nonpartisan angle, and, and it's actually been proven that young people really respond to nonpartisan approaches and really are excited by just being encouraged to form their own opinions rather than kind of being attacked with someone else's views and, and kind of uh, being imposed on in that way. Um, and so we can really encourage them and excite them um, and then also um, inspire them. I really think that we have to inspire young voters. We have to help them see that their vote counts. And the way that we do this at 18 by Vote is really focusing on local elections and helping young people understand the impact of local elections. So we will um, have young people learn about the local elections that are going on in their communities, maybe talk to politicians. If they have that connection, if they actually see that, that you know, local elections impact Americans every day the most out of any election. And so how do we get them to see that? We get them to kind of learn about their local, um, their local laws, for example, policing, schooling, all of these different things that are actually decided by local politicians and not necessarily by by higher level. And you bring up this, uh, you know, and I, and I, I see this as a, as a young person that when you get younger students or just that, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds excited about politics and you start to talk to them about what matters in their community, there's a sort of ripple effect where that kind of lights a fire and it spreads all over the place because young people once they're interested in politics, they are excited to talk about it. They want to share what they've learned with their friends. Is it something that you and your organization see as well? Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's incredible. I mean, every young person um, that we have worked with has then gone on to continue to be engaged. They talk about how the, the conversations that they've had with their friends, their friends who have had absolutely no interest in, in politics before and, you know, maybe still aren't so interested, but maybe at least might read a little bit, might be a little curious. And just that curiosity is really so important because if you give them that chance to be curious, they can then become excited. <laughs> and it's really just kind of getting that, that, that um, exposure and that jump, as you, as you said, by exposing them to their peers. I, no, I agree with you. And I think that's pretty awesome. So um, let me pose a hypothetical to you. Say I'm a young person, I'm 17 years old, or I'm even 19 years old, and I want to get involved in politics, or I want to get involved in just voter outreach. What do I do? Where do I go? I, I mean, I have no resources. So what would you recommend? Absolutely. Um, so there are many ways to get involved, um, but uh, a really big way, I mean, coming up in 2022, if you want to get involved in, um, in Wisconsin, Arizona, Florida, um, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, <laughs> you can contact 18 by Vote. Um, we will actually be hiring young people to run voter registration and education drives in their communities. So we will be giving them training, resources, um, and really helping them kind of figure out where is the best way to reach people. So we're one place. <laughs> That's definitely one place where people can get involved. Um, but I would encourage them to look for different advocacy organizations that are in their own community. Um, there are a lot of organizations that um, do focus on that actually offer voter registration, but maybe don't outwardly present as a voting organization. Um, and so there are lots of opportunities um, within that. You can also contact your local officials and, you know, contact um, your, <clears throat> 
someone really like at the county level and be like, how do I, can I register voters or do you have materials? Um, because um, if you go to your local board of elections, you can most of the time grab um, a stack of forms and, you know, bring it to your school and, and register voters or bring it to your community center, or you can also take that upon yourself. That's awesome. And Ava, if folks want to get involved with your organization, I know you mentioned the specific states you guys are working in. Um, what should I, what should they do? Where should they reach out and who should they reach out to? Absolutely. Um, so um, we will be releasing specific opportunities, but um, you can start by going to our website, which is www.18by.vote, um, where we have a form where you can sign up to, to be notified when we have volunteer opportunities. And those will be coming in um, in the, the kind of late spring around June. Um, and that's really where we'll be um, releasing specific opportunities. But also if you just want to hold a voter registration drive, or maybe you want to like have an event with a local politician or a local elected official and have voted voter registration at it, you can contact us directly at hello at 18by.vote and we will help you find the resources for your specific state, for your specific locality and help you get those, um, the exact information that you need to register voters in your area. That's awesome. Well, Zoomers, if you're listening, if you want to get involved, Go to 18 by vote. What is it again? 18.byvote.com. Is that what it is? 18by.vote. 18by.vote. Go register, go hold a voter registration drive and get involved. Because if you want politicians to care about our future, then we need to show them that we care about elections, about voting um, and about getting out our message. So Ava, this this was great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for zooming in with us. Thank you so much for having me. And now it's time for Tweets of the Week. Our first tweet is coming from Joe Walsh. Joe says, I prefer a president who calls one reporter a stupid son of a bitch than a president who calls the entire American media the enemy of the people. But that's just me. I'm going to go ahead and agree with that point. I think he's spot on in saying that. True. Uh, Our next tweet comes from Mayo, who says, does Ivanka Trump know she has to share a bathroom in prison? Now, if you don't remember this during the Trump administration, uh, Ivanka Trump uh, and, and Jared, they both uh, they did not want the Secret Service agents who are protecting their lives to share a bathroom with them. So they made them get an entirely different apartment that they had to travel to to go use the bathroom. So uh, she's going to learn a nice little lesson in her next life. Um, and our final uh, our final tweet says breaking Governor Ron DeSantis declares that preschool programs in Florida are now called pre-KKK. That sounds like uh, Ron DeSantis' ideal public school education system. Yeah. And that is Tweets of the Week. And that is our show. Thank you so much to all of the Zoomed In listeners who tune in every Wednesday and catch us live every Thursday on Twitter. We are so appreciative of the support you give us every week. And if you enjoy the show, please tell your friends to listen, tell them to subscribe. And we'd love to hear from you if you enjoy the pod and you share it on Twitter. So Aaron, if people want to tell you how they feel about the pod, if they liked it, uh, where can they find you? 
Yeah, um, on all of my social media platforms, at Aaron Parnas, and on my TikTok, at Aaron Parnas 6. That's at Aaron Parnas with the number six. Jack, what about you? Go check them out. Uh, you can find me at JD Cacciarella on Twitter. That's J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A. And you can find me at Jack Cacciarella on TikTok. I'm having a lot of fun making daily political content. So go check me out on TikTok. Um, we would also love to say a huge thank you to Adam Salton, our editor, who helps us make this show possible every week alongside Midas Touch, the awesome brothers who produce it. And thank you to Ava Mateo and 18 by Vote for all the incredible work you're doing. And thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate you all. Share the Zoomed In podcast and we will see you next Wednesday. Thank you for Zooming In. <laughs>